0: read one scripture, if you have your Bibles, turn with me. we're going we're to do our study in Philippians in just a moment, but before we do, if you would look at First Peter chapter two, you know we did our series not too long ago on Sunday mornings on the priesthood of the believer, several parts of that. And I want you to read First Peter 2: 5, that song that Chris was singing and I so, I so appreciate his uh, spirit Chris's spirit and humility to and just uh, to worship the Lord like that and to lead this body but first uh, Peter 2 5 he also is living stones or built up a spiritual house a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices except acceptable to God by Jesus Christ and that's That's our privilege, that's our honor, amen, as as redeemed of the Lord, to be able to worship the Lord in that way. We don't just sing songs, we don't just come to church, we're built built up by the Lord, a spiritual house, a spiritual priesthood, because of Christ in us. We're redeemed, we're washed in His blood, and we're new, and we're here to worship the Lord tonight. I want you to turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Philippians. We are going to uh, finish chapter 1 this evening. Philippians chapter 1. We're doing our, our series through this epistle and just taking our time going through it. It's been a great uh, encouragement to me. So if you would, let's read, uh, let's read verses 24, and we really covered that verse last week, but 24 through the end of the chapter, and we'll talk about this tonight. Philippians 1.24, Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ for me by my coming to you again. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else it be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel, and in nothing being terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now here to be in me. And so, uh, this is the end of, of chapter one, and we're going to talk about it. And he says in verse twenty-five, uh, "Having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you all for your furtherance of joy, and, and the faith of faith." And how, the question is, how would he know that? How did he know that he was going to continue with them? He was in prison. And he actually was released. After two years, this was his first stint in Rome. He was released and get, did get to, to visit him again before he later went to Rome and was imprisoned. But we read in the end of Acts chapter uh, 28 that Paul was released and in his own uh, hired house for a while. But uh, you have to be near to the Lord to hear the Lord. And so to, he says, I have this confidence. I know that I'm going to see you again. And I don't think he was just talking about heaven, but um, you have to be near to the Lord to hear the Lord. We have to stay close to the Lord. We wonder why some people could hear God so specifically and hear a little minute details about life. You have to walk closely to the Lord to do that. That doesn't just, you can be saved just by, tr- by genuinely trusting the Lord and we're born again. But to really walk, to hear the voice of the Lord, and to be led by the Spirit of God so specifically in such a detailed fashion throughout life, we have to be near the, the Lord. We have to spend time with the Lord. We have to be close to the Lord. And Paul definitely was that. There's a wonderful scripture uh, in Psalm 25, 14. It says, the secret, of the, the secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. And secret there means the intimate fellowship. There's an intimate communion. And I heard somebody say, Is God, uh, would God share his secrets with his enemies? No, he would not. You know, he's going to share those intimate thoughts with those that are near to him and draw near to him. When we look in the gospels, we see Jesus had 12 disciples, right? And he loved them all and they were with him all and all but Judas, you know, loved the Lord and were committed fully to him. But there were three that always were nearer, I guess you would say. They weren't loved anymore by the Lord, but I think they experienced the love of the Lord more than the others. They pressed in. When Jesus went in to heal Jairus' daughter, he put everybody out and he took with him Peter, James, and John, right? When he went up on the Mount of Transfiguration, we see that he took Peter, James, and John. Uh, there was something about, and, and at the Lord's Supper even, we see that John was the one just leaning on the Lord. I mean, literally, physically right next to him. And there's something to be said for that, that nearness to the Lord. But Paul says he had this confidence, I know in verse 25 that, five, that I shall abide and continue with you. And so, and with you all for your furtherance and joy of faith, that your rejoicing may be more abundant in Jesus Christ. For me by my coming to you again. Again, it's interesting. He did come to them again, I believe, one more time before he went back to Rome where he was eventually imprisoned and and beheaded. But there was this knowing that he had and the rejoicing here that he talks about in verse 26. Remember, that's a theme of this epistle is the rejoicing, the joy of the Lord. As I said, I think it's in four chapters, the word joy in one form or another is is used 14 times in these four chapters, and so it is a theme here, and it means exaltation. It means reason for glorying or boasting. So there has to be a reason for us to be joyful. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit, and that reason very simply is Christ. He's the source of that joy. He is the, knowing the Lord is the source of that joy, amen, and walking with the Lord. And Um, he's our only source of boasting. Paul said in Galatians 6, uh, but God forbid that I should glory, save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom I'm crucified to the world and the world unto me. His only boasting was going to be in Christ. His only boasting was going to be in the person of Jesus Christ, the work of Jesus Christ, the ministry of Christ, knowing Christ, the goodness of Christ, the holiness of God. Uh, the mercy of the Lord, his only boasting or glorying, that's what that means, was going to be in the Lord. And everything else he was dead to and, and cut off to. In 1 Corinthians 31, it says that it, as it is written, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. And that's what the word rejoicing means. It means a glorying or a boasting. But there's no boasting in ourselves. Is no patting ourselves on the back and say, look at what a great athlete I am. Look at how smart I am. Look at what a great Christian I am. It is all glory unto the Lord. And that is how uh, it is to be and what God's called us to be. Now, I really believe that verses 27 and 29 are going to be our key passages for the night. We'll spend most of our time on those. But look at verse 27. Only let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ, that whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. And I wanted to read this from F.B. Meyer. I just really appreciate his ministry. F.B. Meyer says this on this, this passage here. He goes, Our manner of life. And that's what where he, where he's talking about when he says, Only let your conversation, okay? Let your conversation. Uh, F.B. Meyer says, Our manner of life is all important. In the open or the broad daylight and in the hours of darkness, it must be worthy of the gospel. We must show ourselves to be a heavenly people and temperament as citizens of that city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. And I'm not sure who this woman is, but she was a Christian woman, Lady Powers Court. She used to say that she dwelt in heaven but came down for a few hours each day to do her work on earth. That's a citizen of heaven. And that's what Paul's talking about. We need to behave and live and act as though we're from heaven, as though that's our home, that's our residence, that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. So she says, I'm really uh, dwelt dwell in heaven, but she would come down a few hours a day to do the work of the Lord before returning home at night. Clearly, clearly then, our dress, our, our attitude, our behavior should identify us as strangers and pilgrims who can well endure the discomfort of the, of the troublesome experience, experiences on, on this earthly sojourn. And so we're here for just a little while, y'all. And while we're here, we're to glorify God. And so what Paul's talking about in verse 27, our conversation, is the earthly walk of a heavenly man. And that is to be different, It's to be very different than the life that we had before we knew Jesus. And this walk that we have is to be very different than those that currently don't know Jesus. It's not that we think we're better than them. It's not that we feel superior to them. Uh, we're sinners saved by grace. They're sinners in need of salvation by grace. Now, we are new in Christ, and we we're, we're er, have the treasure in earthen vessels and so forth, and accepted in the beloved. But it's the earthly walk of a heavenly man is to be a citizen of heaven and live that way on this earth. So we're citizens of heaven now. It's not something we're going to be. I know we're going to actually go and be in heaven one day when we die or the Lord raptures us and calls us home. But until that day, we're still citizens of heaven. Amen? I've been on foreign mission trips, and many of you have as well, or visited foreign countries. You may go to another foreign country. I've been to you know Peru and the Philippines and, and Honduras and places like this, and I'm still a citizen of the United States even though I'm there temporarily. We're temporarily here on this earth, Okay? But uh, my heart is in heaven, um, my, my attitude, everything is to represent my heavenly father, my savior. Everything is to represent that kingdom on my, in my life here on earth. People need to see the Lord. They need to hear the gospel. It's the power of God and the salvation of everyone that believes. But they need to see the Lord in our lives. They need to see what a Christ is like. They need to see... Uh, the fruit of the Spirit, the love, joy, peace, etc., in our lives. They need to see that. So, as to be a citizen of heaven and to live that way, how do we do it? By the power of the Holy Spirit. I say it all the time and I remind myself. I don't say, Lord, I've got this. You know, so I've got it. You, you sit tight over there. I'm going to go live for you or serve you or do this or witness or whatever. We don't have this, we, we have Christ. And we have the power of the Holy Spirit. It is not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, saith the Lord of hosts. If we live in the Spirit, uh, let us walk in the Spirit, the Bible says. That is the life of the believer. The New Testament believer, amen, is a life in the Spirit and empowered by the Spirit. Let your conversation be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. Let your conversation, it means your behavior your conduct, our lifestyle, our manner of life in every way, in every way, whether we're out in public openly, whether you're by yourself and it's you at home. And I just want all that to really sink in for all of us, whether you're out in public, whether with our, ch- our church people, whether with your work people, your school classmates, um, or whether you're by yourself in your house or wherever you are. We are citizens of heaven, and our conduct and behavior in, in conversation is to be befitting or worthy of Christ. Amen? Again, we ask the Lord to help us. We do fail. We fail, and we ask God to forgive us. But we don't, we don't live a life of failure. Amen? We're, we ought to be strengthened. We ought to do better. We ought to be built up. We ought to be more like Christ next year than we are this year. There needs to be a progress. That's everything about it. It's a progress and a moving forward. Amen. And so there are certain sins that go by the wayside because God causes us to walk in victory over them. And there will be other things that we face and temptations and failures. But Paul says whether I'm, at, whether I'm actually absent and still you know, from you or present with you, he wanted to hear a good report basically of how the Philippian believers were doing. He wanted to hear that there was a consistency. And here's specifically what he said. uh, That you would, at the end of verse 27, whether I'm with you or absent, that I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast. That was the first thing. Stand fast in one spirit. Secondly, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. So standing fast has to do with uh, standing strong, standing firm, standing in the truth, and then striving for the together for the faith of the gospel they 're not striving against one another. This is not a church split or a church fight that 's going on they're striving together for a purpose amen for the for the testimony of Christ and for the gospel and so this that word striving is where we get our word athlete from so the, there's something where they're 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 working for this thing. They're they're putting forth effort in it, and that's how we're fighting together. And he he wanted to hear these these believers fighting together, for the faith of the gospels. And so we're to stand fast, and we're to wrestle or fight. That's not always easy, by the way. It's not always easy. And uh, anybody that's played sports, anybody that's done. Uh, the preparation is not easy. The competition is not easy. It can be enjoyable. There's a satisfaction of, of doing well and and improving in what you've worked on, but it's not easy. It takes some effort. And so striving together. Because we're facing the same enemy. Okay, we're facing the same eni- enemy. This is why we're to strive together, and. We're, it's, not, it's not easy, but we have to, number one, identify who the enemy is. There is an enemy that we have for our souls. There's an adversary, but it's also, he's also the same adversary of the gospel and the furtherance of the gospel. Satan does not want men to be born again. He is identified. We don't have to make it up and wonder who our adversary is. Our adversary is the devil, 1 Peter 5 eight. Your adversary, the devil, that's a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour, whom resists steadfastly in the faith. The Bible says he is our adversary, and he was the one that was after Peter's soul. Jesus said that uh, Peter, Simon, that the devil has desired to have you. Satan has desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I prayed for you that your faith fail not. That's what Satan was after. He is our adversary. And so we identify him as believers, not just this church, but the church universal. We identify that we have an adversary. We have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. We have Christ in us who's greater, but we have an adversary. And we are to resist him. We are to identify him, and we need to actually declare war on him in the sense that when we go out, let's say we're gonna, our church is planning to go out witnessing, you know, soon. And we would pray together. We need to go and come against Satan. Satan is going to be trying to blind the minds of them that believe not. He is going to be resisting you. You might not have any problems with the devil for the most part through your day. But when you start to try to bring the gospel to someone, and you're going to feel afraid. You're going to break out in cold sweats. You're going to find reasons not to do it. You're going to get change your mind and close your mouth and get back in the car and drive off and never say a word. Uh, you're going to open your mouth and and somebody will be listening and then all of a sudden some of their friends come up and, and laugh at you and turn them away. It's the devil trying to work through people just like Christ is working through people. Satan is working through people and he's trying to keep men from coming to the Lord. We need to understand that we're striving together in this and we're uh, there's almost like this understanding that we're, we're striving together against the adversary of the gospel. But at the same time, we're trying to sow the seed of the gospel to bring people out of darkness. So we go out there and we're trying to reach men for Christ, but we're having to battle the devil in order to do it, in order to accomplish that. And like I said, we face the same devil, the same devil that Paul was facing in a Roman prison. The Philippians were facing in their church and in their daily walk, the Bible says that these temptations are common to man, and so we also are facing the same devil and the same his same tactics. His same we're not ignorant of his devices. Amen. He wants to keep us uh, distracted. He wants to keep us away from uh, full surrender to the Lord. I remember, and I've shared it so many times in my testimony when I was at LSU, and I was very. A Very carnal Christian, very carnal Christian, but I I believe I was saved at the time. And Satan used to tell me that if uh, the Lord was convicting me and the Lord was drawing me to himself to surrender, just lay it all down and give yourself to Jesus fully. I knew I hadn't. The devil knew I hadn't and the devil did not want me to. But he made me believe that if I did that, I would not have any friends because none of my friends were Christians. They might have said they were, but none of them were Christians and none of them were committed to Christ. And he used to make me think I would be such like an outcast. I wouldn't have a friend in the world. I would be the most lonely, depressed person on the planet. I could never live without my friends. And that's one of his tactics. That's one of the tactics he used in my life. He's a liar. We need to resist that steadfastly in the faith. Call him out by name. Devil, you're a liar. The Lord says he's a friend who sticks closer than a brother. The Lord said uh, beyond believe everything and follow him we'll have lands and houses and homes and family and and uh, beyond measure in this life and in the in the life to come, eternal life. Amen. It's a lot. But I I really, really believe that. As a young man, as a as a college student at LSU, I was uh tormented by that in the sense that it kept me in from surrendering everything to the Lord. And there's nobody's fault but my own. The Lord was telling me that that wasn't true, but I listened to the devil's lies and uh and went along with him. We need to identify those things. The Lord is in us is greater. Amen. And you're of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. God's word is forever settled in heaven. Put up a little flagpole right there and say, I'm standing right here. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in the world. Greater is he that's in me as a believer, that's Christ the Lord, than governments, militaries, laws, uh, hatred, uh, being, being thrown in prison, being beaten, being persecuted for righteousness' sake, greater is he that's in me than anything else. Anyone else, anything else. And I either believe that or I don't. And in the Bible, uh, to Joshua, the Lord identified himself as the captain of the Lord of hosts. Amen? He was getting ready to go into the, the land of the Canaanites. And the first battle would be against Jericho, this wild city. And the Lord came to him and said, and uh, Joshua sees him, and he's not sure of angel or what. He says, are you for us or with us? He goes, neither. I'm captain of the Lord of hosts. You know, I'm the captain of the Lord of hosts. You go do this, Joshua, what I'm telling you to do. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, he's called the captain of our salvation. In Isaiah 55, 4, he's called the commander of his people, of the people. And so we're part of this same army. Amen. We identify we got the same adversary, but we also have the same commander in chief and are part of the same army. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. I just want to read this from John 17. Jesus said this in the, the night of the Last Supper before he was um, a- arrested later that night, that they all, this is his prayer for his disciples. Now, I would think it's his prayer I believe it's not out of context to say that's his prayer for us as his disciples. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee. That they also may be one in us that the world may believe that thou has sent me. We're in the Lord. that We're with one another in the Lord. And with the Lord, we're with the Father in heaven. We're all in one. And it's a testimony for, for Christ. We're unified in the Lord. And so we fight that way through the power of his might verse twenty eight and in nothing terrified by your adversaries, which is to them an evident token of perdition, but to you of salvation and that of God. when he's talking about being terrified, it means afraid, just like you would think, but all, the example that's given when you look up the word, it actually means to like if you were to spook a horse and it would it would take off or turn out of the way, it's supposed to run down the trail this way, and something like a snake, you know, or something, a bear, or whatever, something spooked the horse, and it turned out of the way and didn't continue on the right path. That's what it means. Don't be turned or spooked by your adversary. Is Satan going to try to spook you? Absolutely. Is he going to try to scare you? Absolutely. He's going to try to intimidate you? I think that's one of his best weapons. He intimidates. He just tries to put fear in us and, and fills us, our minds, with such fear, and we believe him. We don't need to believe. Him. We need to believe God. Amen? I'm speaking to myself. We need to grow in that. We need to un- understand and identify. There needs to be a progress in that where I'm not as easily spooked by the devil. He says in nothing, that in nothing you're terrified by your adversaries. I think about, I watch a lot of shows on history because there's not a whole lot, that I find to watch on TV, we watch a, watch a lot of shows, and they're always showing Hitler, you know, and and it still amazes me—not not, not in a good way, but in a bad way—but it still is amazing the 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 plan, how how far back he started that plan. I mean, we got in the war December seventh, nineteen forty-one, but like in nineteen twenty-six, he's he's coming into power. He's he's writing books. He's thinking of plans. He comes up with a propaganda minister. I think we still have those today, by the way. Uh, I really do. But a propaganda minister, he was way ahead of his time in a bad way. But uh, it's just one of the things he did. He put fear into people. Just put fear into people. People could have stood up against that, you know, but they didn't. They they, they nodded and went along with it and clapped and did this. And they went along with it. There was, there was an intimidation when they would see the brute force out there. And here's what happens if you cross the Fuhrer kind of thing. It's not a, a joke. I mean, it was very much, it's just like Satan intimidates. Uh, he didn't take over the world. God didn't let him take over the world. God stopped him. Ended up killing himself in a bunker in a hole. As a drug addict. You understand? He didn't, he didn't accomplish that. Uh, but he's, there's such an intimidation. That's satanic. God doesn't intimidate. God encourages. He builds up. He strengthens. He shows us our weaknesses, and he says, I will be more than adequate in your weakness. He took Gideon and used him to fight the Midianites, right? He took us in, our, in, our, in his humility and weakness And inability. He took David, a little teenage boy, without any armor and kills Goliath through him. But he doesn't intimidate. He he builds us up and and strengthens us. And so we're not to be terrified by our adversaries. Amen. In, In plural here, because it's the devil, but the devil uses people. God hasn't given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And also, we understand that it's going to be this way. You don't walk with the Lord. Uh, uninformed. In the Bible, the Lord tells us you're going to be opposed. You are going to be hated by all men for my sake. You're going to be falsely accused. uh, You have an adversary, the devil, who has schemes. He came to steal, kill, and destroy. He's after you. He's going to be after you. So he's telling us ahead of time. He told his disciples, and Matthew 10 is one of these chapters we need to spend some time on we did when we talked about sheep in the midst of wolves this was the first time jesus sent his disciples out like go do this in my name and by the way i'm sending you forth as sheep just get the picture in the midst of wolves and you're going to be persecuted you're going to be hated you're going to be brought before governors and people for my name's sake as a testimony against them but I tell you beforehand, don't fear them. I'm paraphrasing. Don't fear them. Don't fear men which can destroy the body. I'll tell you beforehand who to fear. And the, the answer is God. Fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Fear God. A healthy fear of God takes care of those other fears. Amen? And we need to remember that, especially in our day. And so uh, fearlessness in the face of per- persecution. Paul says is evident token of two things. All right. Look at the end of verse uh, 28. So our adversaries are opposing the gospel and they're opposing Christ and truth and the word of God and the church of Christ and everything that has to do with Jesus. And the furtherance of that message and gospel and kingdom. That's what they're opposing. So they're going to they're going to oppose you as a believer. Little old me, you think I'm nothing, why would the devil bother with me? Because you're going to tell your friend about Jesus. You're going to tell your coworker about the Lord. Yes, he's after you. Amen? He's after you. But he says that this is to them, the adversaries of the gospel, an evident token of perdition. In other words, this is actually evidence. The fact that they're opposing you as a believer and the gospel message of Christ, and your church, and ridiculing, or however whatever form it takes, uh, the fact that they are doing that, actively doing that, is an evidence of their perdition, which means their destruction. That they are, at this point, doesn't mean they can't be saved, okay? Anybody can be saved, but it's it's an evidence that right now, that they're, they have the wrath of God ab- abiding upon them. They're coming to, to destruction. And it's an evident token. That is a legal term, and it means a proof obtained by facts. So it's an evident proof obtained by facts that they're destined for destruction. That's what's waiting them. Of course, if they don't repent because the Lord forgives the worst of the worst, and he forgave us. But it's also an evident token, the fact that they are persecuting you, the adversaries of Christ are persecuting you and and opposing you, is also an evident token of your salvation and that of God. In other words, the salvation of God. It's proof that you belong to Jesus. If Satan's after you, he's after you because you belong to the Lord. If you already belong to him, he would just put you in his little pen over there in that camp and keep you. But the fact that you're opposing him and, and intruding into his territory, into his kingdom, and going to down that street trying to reach people with the gospel or into that family or into that workplace, into that school, that college environment, and you're going to try to bring the gospel there, and he says, this is my territory, and he's going to oppose you. It's an evident token of their lostness, and uh, and it's an evident token of your True salvation in Christ amen, because he 's not going to waste his time with people that aren 't a threat to him, and so that 's what it 's evidence and we'll bring uh, we 'll bring this to a close in these next couple of, of verses verses twenty nine and thirty For unto you it is given in the behalf of Christ not only to believe on him but also to suffer for his sake. This is the thing this is two things that are given. To the child of God. It means graciously granted. And think about it. You wouldn't think. And I, I would not naturally think that persecution. Is a gift. Suffering he says here. Is a gift. And it's not that we go out looking to suffer. But. that, that what he says. Unto you it is given. In the behalf of Christ. A gracious graciously granted from the Lord, not only to believe on him, we have to believe on him, but also to suffer for his sake. And uh, that, that's a privilege. I want you to look at a couple of scriptures with me if you would. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 5. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verses 11 and 12. He's talking about all the blessed are the poor. In spirit, there's the kingdom of heaven. And he gets down at the end of the Beatitudes and he says in verses 11 and 12, Blessed are you when men shall revile you and persecute you and say all manner manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice. Isn't that what Paul's talking about? He's rejoicing in prison. He's telling the Philippians to Rejoice. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. We're in good company. We're in good company. I say it all the time. I remind myself that teaching is not in the Bible that we go out and behave in such a way that we just draw attention to ourselves and misbehave in such a way that we're sure to get reprimanded or ridiculed or fired, or something like that, and then we say, look, I suffered for the Lord. I think it is just simply, plain and simply, holy living. It's a boldness for the Lord in private and in public, whether there's a cost for that or no cost for that. There's no cost for me to preach the gospel tonight to you in this church, or for you to say amen. Amen. We take this same thing, and we preach it in a a classroom at LSU. Uh, There's a cost for it. You understand what I'm saying? And so, the, the, the thought is that we just live for God and we obey the Lord and we go where he sends us and we open our mouth when he says speak and we do it with boldness and we do it without being ashamed and we do it without being fearful of the consequences. We just live for God, okay? We have to be as wise as serpents and harmless as doves. There are times we're to be quiet and there are times that we are to speak very boldly. I think of Stephen all the time, first martyr in the New Testament that we read about in the early church was Stephen. And when he knew that it turned bad, so to speak, and that the Jewish crowd was not receiving his message, he preaches this whole long message, and then he tells you the ones who through wicked hands slew the Savior that was sent to you and they picked up stones, and they gnashed their teeth, and they ran on him and began to stone him. He didn't say, okay, stop, 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 stop. I'm being quiet now. Okay, I learned my lesson. I'm leaving. He finished. You know what I mean? He finished it. He didn't know. I don't think he knew that that was going to be the last day of his life or last few minutes of his life on earth, but he still preached it and finished it all the way through. And I just think that the, the lesson is, he says, Blessed are, are you when men revile you and persecute you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. You might be hauled out of work or out of school someday just for being a Christian and people know you're a Christian. You don't go along with this uh, PC uh, culture and this uh, whatever you want to call it culture. The antichrist culture, you don't go along with it, and they know you don't go along with it. You're the best employee on the job, but you don't go along with that agenda. Who knows what you might face or what I might face? Just keep living for God and let him take care of you. He took care of Stephen. He stood up and welcomed him home. Amen? He took care of him. And he's going to take care of us. We're not to be terrified by our enemies. It is given to us. We're in good company, be exceeding glad, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. I'm glad I'm in the company of someone like uh, these prophets that I read about. Amen? I'm glad that that's my brother. I want to be identified with them. In the Fox's Book of Martyrs and those people that died for the Lord, they refused. Some little children, some teenagers think, well, that's a kid doesn't even know what he's doing. They did know what they were doing. They took a stand for the Lord. They died for Jesus. That's our brothers and sisters. Their persecutors are burning in hell forever. We're going to be with those people in heaven forever. And they're not in pain anymore. They're not suffering anymore. They're wearing crowns of glory and martyrs' crowns and taking a stand for the Lord. Hallelujah. We got to remind ourselves of that. Where else are you going to hear this? Where else are you going to be encouraged? to stand for Jesus, in the body of Christ, in the word of God, with the people of God. So we need to come together. And I'm, I'm bringing this to a close. A couple more verses. I'm just going to read some to you. But uh, 2 Timothy three twelve. Yea, all and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. So it, it goes with the territory. They don't think not think It's strange. Concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you. As though some strange thing happened. This isn't what I expected. Well, it is what we should expect. It's what God's word says. We don't go out looking, uh, as I said, for trouble. We don't live in fear. We don't think today's the day I could die. Uh, We just live for Jesus. And when it comes, it comes. In small measure, medium-sized measure, or big measure. And God, because we walk near to him... And he is our, such a faithful God and Savior will give us the strength beyond our human strength at that moment. And I thank God for it. I see it over and over and over. A little feeble old lady, a little child that's, uh, you know, 13 years old, whoever, an old adult, a, a young adult with their whole life ahead of them, whatever the walk of life, God will give us the strength in that moment. And I thank God for it. He has given to us on the behalf of Christ to believe on him and to suffer for his name's sake. And so uh, another verse, Acts 5, 41. And they departed from the presence of the council, Peter and John. They've been called up before him twice for healing the lame man and preaching the gospel. 5,000 people got saved, by the way. Those 5,000 people are in heaven with Peter and John, okay, they're not hurting anymore, but they were persecuted, they were beaten, they were threatened. They, were, uh, they left the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. They didn't leave there saying, oh my goodness. You know, We may need to rethink this. They left there rejoicing. Before they even got back to the church and had a ch- chance to recount their story and get counsel on how they should look at this, they knew what the Word of God says. This went with the territory. We have been identified with Christ. Therefore, we've been persecuted like Christ and like his prophets. And hallelujah, they were rejoicing. Amen? God wants us to rejoice, not only to endure it, but to rejoice. If we suffer for our own sin, that's a different story. We're to be ashamed. We need to repent. We need to ask God to forgive us as believers for bringing shame to His name. But if we suffer for Christ, we are to rejoice. Amen. If we suffer, Second Timothy two twelve, we shall also reign with Him. If we suffer, we shall also reign with Him. If we deny Him, He also will deny us. It says. And I want to close with. Uh, with one more quote from F.B. Meyer. He says this on that last passage that we read This is an added honor conferred on us by our Lord. The King gives us the opportunity of lit lying in the stocks with Him. In other words, the prison stocks where you were, we get, He's given us the privilege and the honor to do that with Him. To, to, to lie in prison with him, so to speak. In other words, to go through uh, the struggles and the, the, the rejection with him. But those who have drunk of his cup shall share his throne. When earth and heaven shall pass away, his fellow sufferers shall be his chosen bodyguard and attendants. In a world where all shall love and honor him. There's first the crown, first the cross, and then the crown. First the cross and then the crown. There's first the suffering and then the rejoicing and exaltation. That's God's way. That's his way. And I just want to encourage you uh, to, not, to not be fearful, to not try to shy away from things like that. We don't go out looking for trouble. We look for God and we live for God. But obey him whether it's easy on a particular day and obey him whether you say this is going to cost something. This is going to cost something for me to obey the Lord right now. Obey the Lord right now. Because we're all going to be raptured soon and out of here. And even if we're not soon, this, this life is so short, y'all, compared to, to what he has for us. If we suffer with him, we shall reign with him. His reign is an eternal reign. Remember Daniel saw the kingdom, the, the stone that crushed the other kingdoms, and dominions of the world, and his kingdom is an everlasting king- kingdom, and his dominion is from everlasting to everlasting. That's the kingdom we're part of. Amen? And God will give us the strength and the grace, he will supply what's needed at the time. He wants to encourage us tonight. Amen? Y'all stand with me tonight. Father, we come before you in Jesus' name. What a Savior, what a God. Lord, sit, Lord, you said in your word in 1 John 4, Then you are of God, little children, and have overcome them. We've already overcome them because greater is he that's in us than he that is in the world. If we suffer with him, we also shall reign with him. We praise you and thank you, Lord God. First the, cro- the cross, first the suffering, first the death to self, and then the crown, then the glory, then the exaltation. And Lord, through all of it, we want our conversation, like we studied tonight at the beginning, Lord, our conversation to be as citizens of heaven, that we're, it would be worthy, the way we live, the way we speak, the way we love, everything that we do, the way we forgive others, God, the way we stand strong in Christ and for the gospel, all of it to be honoring to you, glorifying to you, to be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Lord, strengthen us, Lord. It's beyond us. All that we're talking about tonight is a miracle. All that we're talking about tonight is impossible. But you said what's impossible with men is possible with God. Thank you, Lord. Strengthen your people in Jesus' name. Chris is just going to play for a moment. The altars are open. If you want to come pray tonight and just meet with the Lord, ask him for boldness, ask him for strength, ask him... To, to make us holy in this day in which we live and, and forgive us where we haven't uh, stood for the Lord as we should have.